Proverbs 16, verse 1, it says, The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now, we've been going through Proverbs here. We're uh, just over the halfway point. And one of the continual themes that we've talked about is this idea of seeking God and getting wisdom. Every single week, there's a subject comes up of seeking God and searching for wisdom. Part of that wisdom is verse 1, the preparations of the heart belong to man. We have a responsibility to actually seek out that wisdom. I, I hear this a lot, you know, of people saying they want to go deeper, they want things to be different in their life, they want their marriage to be different, they want their lives to be different. Okay, what effort are you going to put into that? There comes a little bit of balance here. Verse 1 is what I call a balance verse. The first half of this verse, the preparation of the heart belongs to man, but the second half of this balance verse, the answer of the tongue is the Lord's. So I have a responsibility, but ultimately it's the Lord's. So if you're taking notes, there's two verses I want you to write down. The first one, 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15. That goes with the first half of the verse. The preparations of the heart belong to man. Because 2 Timothy 2.15 comes out and it talks about our responsibility on what it comes down to of going deeper in our walks with the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.15 reads, you don't need to turn there, it says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that's the first half of that verse. The second half of that verse, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. If you're taking notes, write down Mark 13.11. Mark 13.11. That's where Jesus told the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say when you stand before kings, because the Spirit himself will give you utterance during that time. See, that's the balance. The preparations of the heart belong to man. 2 Timothy 2.15 I have a responsibility to get into God's word to rightly divide the word of truth. But the second half of that verse, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord, Mark 13.11, the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say when it's time. You know, coming up here this morning, I have a few notes written down on a piece of paper, some references I want to go to, some things I want to say, but ultimately it's the Lord's. It'd be wrong for me to get up here and say, you know what, this is the first time I've seen Proverbs 16 ever. I've never looked at this chapter. Let's just see what it says. The preparations of the heart. I have a responsibility. But it would be equally as wrong for me to get up here and say, here are my notes. I'm never getting off these notes. I don't care what the Lord says. It speaks in my ear. I'm sticking with these notes. No, because I also need to let the Lord come in and take care of it. It's a balanced thing. And so I encourage you, this is why it's so important for you in your daily walk with the Lord, to have that time of preparing your heart with the Lord. But then also allowing throughout the day the Lord to speak to your heart saying, say this, do this, move here, do that. It's that balance that comes down to it. Now, we are liking to plan things. That's what we like to do. Verse 9, a man's heart's plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. See, that's a balanced verse too. We all have plans. And as you have those plans, you, you do those plans, you think of what's a good idea, but really the Lord directs the steps. If you will, turn to James 4. Let's build on this for a second. James 4. Just as verse 1 was a balanced verse, I have a responsibility to prepare my heart in the things of the Lord, but I also have a responsibility to listen to what the Lord has to say. This is also a balanced verse. I have plans. I have things that the Lord's laid in my heart. There's things that I want to do, but I have to trust the Lord's going to direct my steps. James 4, verse 13. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year thereby, and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. 
But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Boy, how often do we do that? We make a plan. The plan is directed into our wisdom and our knowledge. So we make this plan, and we want to do it. And instead of seeking God's will on it, we ask God just to rubber stamp it. Lord, this is what I want to do. We ask for your blessing. Go. It doesn't work that way. You know, out here at church, uh, we're trying to get a sewer project done. And once the sewer project's done, our plans as a church is we would like to add on. That's our plan. But it's the Lord that directs the steps. That's why we seek him in wisdom. We seek him in guidance. We say, Lord, what do you want to do? Same here with James 4. You may have ideas. You may have things that you want, and this is what you're going to do here or there. But ultimately, it's seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? And how often do we see that? I see Christians all the time make huge life decisions. Where to buy a house, where to work, who to date, who not to date. Who to... And it's like there's no checking in with the Lord. They have plans, but their plans are based in their own wisdom and flesh. And a lot of times we have our plans that we want to do, and God says, no, I'm directing your steps this way. Quick story. You know, I, I try to take um, Fridays kind of as, as a family day and just kind of focus on the family and stuff. And it's been kind of crazy with a lot of things going on. And so Dawn starts saying, hey, can, can you just once a month maybe do like a Thursday, Friday? Just once a month, try to get like a back-to-back -back days so that way we can do some stuff as a family and do, try to get a little bit more stuff done. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, Richard's out here working. We can do this. So I said, this week, I said, I'll try to do like a Thursday, Friday as a family day. So we had, we had this all planned out. We were going to go Thursday. Winsingers were going to watch the three older kids. Um, we were going to take Layden with us. We are going to go up to Toledo and start Christmas shopping. We had this, this great plan, this all planned out here. So we were excited. Um, we were going to go out to eat. And Dawn picked where she wanted to go. She wanted to go to Bob Evans. Now, we still had Layden with us, so we weren't going to take Layden in, but we were just excited. We were just going to eat in the van. So we go to Bob Evans, get the menu. We're putting the menu order in. We're sitting here at Spring Meadows Complex in Toledo. Got the menu in front of us. I'm on the cell phone here, and we're calling Bob Evans, and we're putting the menu and order in. We're really excited about the day. Well, the car parked beside us, there's a, a guy and a gal in there, and they're kind of loud. In fact, they're real loud. And you're kind of like, okay, you kind of notice, but you kind of try to ignore it type thing. And I'm just focusing on Bob Evans. You know, I'm just so excited. Bob Evans, Christmas shopping, Target, this is going to be great. So I get done putting the order in, and you can't help but notice they're very loud. And next thing I know, I see the guy start hitting the girl. And so, okay, so now um, do you need to do something? So I told Dawn, I said, stay in the van, lock the van. I'm going to go out and say something. And uh, I said, say something nice at my funeral. And so I, I get out, and, you know, basically I'm walking from opening my door to, like, right here. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like that. And, and I know, I mean, I know. I, I see myself in the mirror. I'm, I'm a big guy. I know that. I'm intimidating. I understand that. And so it's rare to find somebody taller, bigger than me. It really just doesn't happen often. But I could tell by looking at this guy, this guy was, was bigger than me. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. Um, I just go over and tap on the window, open the door, and, and the first words that comes out of my mouth is just, hey, I'm a pastor. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I got right there. The girl just goes, oh, great. And uh, next thing you know, you're, you're doing counseling right there in the middle of a tar or whatever, Spring Meadows thing, parking lot. And the reason I bring this up is verse 9. A man's heart plans his way. My plan was Bob Evans, Target. Uh, you know, uh, do a quick Walmart run. Nice to get away. But the Lord directs his steps. And, you know, every time we go someplace, we always pray the same thing. Lord, keep us safe as we travel. And, Lord, help us be a light and a witness for you. Bring somebody in that we can show the love of the Lord to. Problem is that prayer becomes so just 
You just do it. You know what I mean? And you really stop and you think, okay, Lord, wait a second. When we are giving that to you, we're really saying, yes, we have a plan. Yes, this is what we want to do. But, Lord, direct our steps. And God directed our steps into that couple's life and uh, got a chance to talk to them. And their names are Corey and Amanda, if I remember correctly. And they really could use a whole lot of prayer. So if you could just add them to your uh, prayer time today, it would be a real, real blessing there. But here's the problem. Verse 9, we plan our way, we direct our steps. God directs our steps. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we don't like where God directs our steps. And that's the problem. So what happens is, I think I'm right. Look at verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. And stay in the same chapter. Look at verse 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. See, here's the problem. I think my ways are pure in my own eyes. I think I got good ideas. I think I have good wisdom. I think that. Verse 2. Verse 25. There's a way that seems right to a man. Well, I think it's right. That's why I do it. So here's the problem. When I think my way is pure, when I think my way is right, and it doesn't line up with what God wants, there's an issue. And that issue has to be dealt with. And so what happens is I get frustrated then. Lord, this is what I want. This is what I think is right. This is what I think is good. And God says, no, I want to direct your steps this way. And I say, no, my wisdom and my plans take me this way. That's the problem. Well, you know what happens when that happens is pride gets in the way. Look at verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God can work with almost anyone or anything. He, he used a great fish with Jonah. He used a donkey with Balaam. The Bible has shown us that he uses a drunk, a liar, uh, an adulterer, um, a coward. I mean, we can go down the list of all the different personality traits that God has used. One thing God will not and has never worked with is pride. He can work with nearly anything else. But if you have pride, God cannot and will not work with you. Because pride says, I'm right. Pride says, no matter what you say or what you do, I am right and you are wrong. That's pride. And it goes back to those verses that we just said. I think my ways are right in my own eyes. I think my ways are pure in my own eyes. I'm not going to listen to anybody else. And if you've ever dealt with somebody who is stubbornly prideful, you know how difficult that is. Constantly trying to prove to them they could be wrong. Well, it's come to my conclusion, if someone is that stubbornly prideful, you, you can't just prove to them. It has to come between them and the Lord because there's a deeper heart issue. There really is. And, and God says, if you allow pride to get the best of you, verse 18, you're really going to destruction. That's really what you're doing. And so when we don't want the Lord to direct our steps, when we feel our plans and our ways are the best, it's really being prideful, saying that I, as a created human being, have better understanding than the infinite God who knows all wisdom. And we've got to be careful about that, to not let pride get the best of us. What are we supposed to do then? Verse 17, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. So what we're supposed to do is keep our way and preserve our soul. That word keep is a really interesting word, and it literally means guard. And that's what we're going to build off here, is that word means guard when it comes to doing things. Uh, real quick, I want to share this verse with you too. It's out of Jude, Jude 21. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. Well, how am I supposed to keep myself in the love of God? Doesn't God always love me? That, that verse makes it sound like I have to earn God's love. No. That word keep means guard. It means when you're in the love of God, guard yourself so that way you don't do anything to harm that relationship with the Lord. 
And a lot of times as Christians, what we do is we harm our own walk with the Lord, where God says, no, keep yourselves, guard yourselves. So verse 17, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. So how do I guard myself? How do I keep myself? Well, there's four things here that you have to guard yourself on, because what happens is you want to, the enemy is always trying to pull you back and tear you down and trying to hurt you in your walk with the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me, and if the enemy's not doing it, I'm going to be doing it myself. You know, Pastor Rich always likes to say out here, i got three things against me. The enemy's against me, the world's against me, and my own flesh is against me. That's tough. You know, a lot of times we let our guards down. You know, we let our guard down. It's like, okay, you know, I understand the role of the enemy, so Lord, I'm praying against him, and I, I understand the wiles of the devil. And I understand the world. The world is always trying to roll me down, so I'm going to watch what I see and watch what I do. Well, I, I just got flesh in me that just likes to be bad sometimes too. And so there's this whole package that we have to guard ourselves against. So what are we guarding ourselves against? The first one here, verse 3, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. First thing you have to guard yourself again is your thought life. Your thought life is a constant, constant battlefield. People come up to me a lot and they talk about how the, the, their mind just, just wanders. And, and my response usually is, of course it does. I mean, that's what happens. Our mind likes to wander towards things that it shouldn't go to. Our mind sometimes wanders towards things of sin. Sometimes our mind wanders towards things of worry, fear, and anxiety. But our mind likes to wander. And it's a tough thing to keep your thoughts in line. Because there are certain things, and we just read a verse here about pride, so I probably shouldn't say this. There are certain things I, I don't think I'm going to do. I have no plans right now to kill anybody. I just don't. I don't have any plans to rob a bank. I don't have any plans to do any of those type of things. But yet, Jesus said, you know what? Yeah, you may not actually go out and physically kill somebody, but if you have anger in your heart towards them, it's the same as murdering them. See, that's where that whole thought life comes in. We may, in our flesh, live a good, decent life, but, but how's the mind? It's amazing how we may never say certain words, or we may never tear somebody down with words, but in our heart. Wow, we have a lot of bitterness and anger towards them. How's your thought life? Let's build on this for a second. Go, if you will, to uh, Philippians 4. A lot of you probably know where I'm going with this. Philippians 4. If you're the type of person that you find your mind always wandering, wandering towards the sins of the world, wandering towards those lusts that you shouldn't have, wandering towards that bitterness, wandering towards that anger, well, pay attention to these verses. Or maybe you find yourself wandering towards those other things, wandering towards uh, thoughts of fear, worry, anxiety, nervousness. Philippians 4. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with a thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Did you catch that in verse 6? Be anxious for nothing. So what are you allowed to be anxious about? Nothing. Now, how simple and straightforward is that? Isn't it kind of funny how we have in our mind, oh yeah, I shouldn't worry about that. But there's certain things I'm allowed to worry about. I'm allowed to worry about my health. I mean, it's my body. I'm allowed to worry about my kids. I'm allowed to worry about my job. I'm allowed to worry about certain things. So when God says be anxious for nothing, he's talking about those little things. But the big things we have to be worked up about. No, it says be anxious for nothing. 
The God of the universe that holds the very world in his hands holds your life. And, and don't you think he can take care of it? I, I was just talking to someone here before the, the service started. Uh, one of the things I struggle with is, is giving my kids over to the Lord and saying, okay, God, you love my kids more than I do. You will take care of my kids. I always like, yes, Lord, you'll take care of my kids, but I'm, I'm going to help if that's okay. Let me just protect them a little bit. And, and it's like you have to trust that if God loves my kids more than me, isn't he also going to take care of them more than I could ever imagine? It's hard to do that. I get anxious about those type of things. And it's, I'm supposed to be anxious for nothing. So how do I battle this thought of anxiety? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So I pray about, okay, we know this. Come on. If you come up to me and you say, James, I'm worked about this, what am I going to tell you to do? You really need to go spend some time with the Lord and pray about it. We know this. But what happens when you pray about it? Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, with that word, guard, your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, so what happens is when I give things over to the Lord in prayer, this amazing thing happens. God trades me worry, fear, and anxiety, and he replaces that with peace. And he even goes one step further. He goes, when you give it over to me through Christ Jesus, I will put this guard around your heart to keep it from coming back. Now, I love that. Now, is that not the greatest deal in the world? I let go of that burden that's carrying me. God gives me peace. And he goes, I even go one step further. I will put a guard around your heart to protect you and to protect those thoughts from coming back. I think it's wonderful. Here's the problem. I like to walk past the guard. And what happens is I give it over to the Lord, but then I keep thinking about it and I rehash it, and I replay it in my mind. So I say, Lord, take care of this situation, but then, but what am I going to do? Lord, be, please be with this person and speak peace. Or, okay, yeah, but what, what, what should I do? That's, that's not letting the Lord take care of it. Now, if God's leading me, I need to obey. But what happens is when I go past that guard, I realize I'm opening myself up. So when your mind begins to wander, even after you give it over to the Lord in prayer, what are you supposed to do? Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure... Whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. See, this is what happens. I give it to the Lord in prayer. He takes it from me. He replaces it with peace. He guards my heart. And then what I'm supposed to do now is keep my mind on holy things. See, if I let my mind go back to that same situation, I really haven't given over to the Lord in prayer. I need to constantly keep thinking of what's pure, holy, and just. What is that? Well, maybe it means getting into the Word more. Maybe it means getting into prayer more. Maybe it means putting on some praise and worship. Maybe it means, hey, I'm just going to think about my kids for a while. I'm going to think about my wife for a while. I'm going to think about something else. But you know what happens? It always tries to wander off. So if you're taking notes, here's the next verse to write down. 2 Corinthians 10.5. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us that we need to take every thought captive. So this is what happens. I'm worked up. I give it to the Lord in prayer. He takes that burden, replaces it with peace. He puts a guard around my heart to say, let's not go there anymore. I keep my mind where it's supposed to be. But you know what? Let's be honest. I'm human. My mind is going to wander. As my mind wanders, I say, no, I'm not going to take that thought. I'm going to take that thought captive in the name of Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to dwell on those things. Is that easy to do? It's very difficult to do. But you know what? If you don't want your mind to wander, if you don't want to carry that worry, fear, and anxiety... That's what you have to do. You have to give it to the Lord in prayer. You have to dwell on those things that's good, and you have to take those thoughts captive. When the mind wants to wander, you have to take that captive in the name of Christ and say, I'm not going down that path again. 
Because that path just leads to destruction. That path just leads to problems and worry and fear and anxiety. It leads to sin. It's not worth it. So in the name of Jesus, we take those thoughts captive. And we say, Lord, I'm going to stay here with the guard of Christ around me. So what do we do as mature believers? We guard our thoughts. And how do we do that? Well, commit your works to the Lord, Proverbs 16:3, and your thoughts will be established. You give it to the Lord, you commit it to Him, and He takes care of it. Next time you deal with worry, fear, anxiety, be it right now, be it later this week, be it something, you find your mind wandering, do those things. Give it to the Lord in prayer. Let His peace come upon you. Dwell on what is good, and when the mind starts to wander, take that thought captive in the name of Christ. What's the next one that we struggle with? Well, this is the one that's come up time and time again in the book of Proverbs, our words. Verse 23, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. As you've heard us say out here, I think nearly every message in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is knowing what to say, and sometimes wisdom is not saying anything at all. So, part of a wise, mature believer is our mouth is guarded. We watch what we say. And it just blows my mind when I see people that claim to be Christians, be it at work, be it at home, be it at marriage and relationships, there is no filter on their words. They know what they're saying is not edifying to the relationships they're in. They know that. A wise, mature believer watches his words. Look at verse 23. Teaches his mouth. How are your words? Verse 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Don't you just love it when you talk to somebody and they're just so encouraging? I got a couple people, if I'm going through a tough time, I can just call them up and just, they probably don't even realize just how encouraging it is. You just sit there and it's like, that, that's what I needed to hear. Pleasant words are like honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Lord, thank you. But there's also the flip side, verse 27. An ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like a burning fire. See, you either live with honeycomb or you live with fire. I don't know which one you live with. And to be quite honest, you may be fire. I don't know. But this is what happens. Your words can either tear up, tear up. Your words can either build up or tear down. If your words are building up, it's pleasant like honeycomb. If your words are tearing down, it's ungodly like fire on the lips. Just seriously, stop and look at yourself. In those relationships you're in, be it work relationships, family relationships, marriage relationships, personal relationships in the body of Christ, are your words like honeycomb, sweetness, building up, or are they like fire that are tearing down? Now, problem is, we look at this verse then, in verse uh, 24, we'll say, well, I, I cannot say anything bad then, because if I'm always supposed to be pleasant and building up in sweetness, I tell you, sometimes the most pleasant, sweet thing I can say to you is, I love you, but you're wrong. And sometimes the most pleasant, sweet thing you can say to me is, James, I love you, but you're wrong. Verse 24 is not saying that you don't speak truth, but you speak truth in love. We know where the balance is. We know that. You know in your own relationships when you're saying something to try to edify the person. Verse 24. And you also know when you're using lips of fire to tear them down. Verse 27. We know that. One step further, look at verse 28. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisper separates the best of friends. Seriously, look at your relationships. What are you sowing into those relationships with your words? If the communication in the marriage is not good, what are you sowing? Are you sowing seeds of strife, verse 28? Well, what do you expect to reap? 
Whatever you sow, that a man reaps. So if I'm constantly putting strife into my marriage, I'm going to get strife right back out of it. If I'm constantly putting strife into my relationships with other people, I'm going to get strife out of it. If I'm putting strife into my walk with the Lord, I'm going to get strife out of it. Now, how do you put strife into your walk with the Lord? Well, you blame God. You know, God's always against me. I get nothing out of it when I read and study. What's the point of doing anything? You're really just sowing seeds of strife into your walk with Christ. And what do you really expect to come out of that? A wise, mature believer watches their words. They guard their words. But what happens when you get worked up? Verse 32, He is slow to anger, is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Just jump back, if you will, one chapter. Look at verse 1 of chapter 15 that we spent time on. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, here's the thing. You can watch your words all you want. You're still going to get worked up about things. It's going to happen. What happens when you feel that anger start to build? Well, verse 32, you want to be slow to anger. You want to hold your spirit. It's not worth it. And can't you just see it and can't you just feel it? They start saying something, you start saying something, and it just builds right there. What good comes out of that? Slow to anger is better than the mighty. See, the way we look at it in the world today, if someone doesn't respond, the world dictates them as weak. You know what? They won't say anything. They won't do anything. That whole Christianity thing of turn the other cheek. Well, you know what? The Bible is saying if I watch my emotions and I exhibit self-control, I'm better than the mighty, verse 32, and I'm ruling my spirit. That's something to be patted on the back for. Jesus set the example for that. Look at everything Christ went through on the way to the cross. The physical torture that he went through. The emotional torture that he went through in the sense of the mockings and everything. The spiritual torture that he went through. He went through all of this on the way to the cross, and the Bible says that he was like a lamb before the shearers, silent. I, I grew up on a farm where we had sheep, and I can remember when they'd come to shear the sheep. Sheep are loud and annoying and obnoxious. Think about the next time God calls you a little lamb, okay? He's saying you're loud, annoying, and obnoxious. You are. But the amazing thing about sheep are, when they are so loud, getting all riled up there, when it comes to the shearer, and we had this guy, and I wish I could remember his name, and I, I don't, Dad was at the first service. I don't think he's here today. He would just take these sheep, flip them, and just shear them as quick as you can imagine. Those sheep never said a thing. They really were silent before the shearer. It's an amazing thing. And so what happens is, God is telling us, are you that way? Can you be slow to anger? Can you rule your spirit? Because really what happens is if you aren't ruling your spirit and you aren't being slow to anger, the Bible says you're not guarding yourself like a mature believer should. And what do we hear all the time? Well, I wouldn't say anything if she wouldn't say that. Come on. Self-control. Or oh, I hear this. You know what? If I go into work tomorrow, if that guy just says one thing to me, if he just says one thing to me, I'm going to let him have it. That's not self-control. That's preparing for a battle. You know, we have to remember God says self-control. A wise, mature believer guards their tongue, watches their tongue, guards and watches their temper. So the first three, what do we guard? We guard our thoughts, we guard our words, we guard our temper. Look at the last one here real quick, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. What else does a wise, mature believer do? We guard our contentment. Better is a little with righteousness. We live in a society today where it's all once, once, and more once. 
You can never have enough. Um, part of the reason why we went up to Toledo was to get some stuff for the shoebox thing. And um, came home, and Dawn was packing the shoeboxes, and she was trying to explain it to the boys of what was going on here. We're sending these shoeboxes over to tell these kids about Jesus. These kids don't have anything, etc. So Elias is like, well, why, why don't they have anything? You know, and I joked a couple weeks ago about the toy bomb. I mean, in our living room, here we are packing these shoeboxes. There's stuff, you know, all over the place. So we're trying to explain it to them. You know, they don't, they don't have anything. You know, they don't live here in Ohio with us. They don't have those type of stuff. So Elias' great logic is, well, why don't they just walk to Ohio? You know, obviously because Ohio has everything. But you try to explain that to them. And, you know, it really is convicting where you're, you're packing this shoebox for this kid and you stop and you look at everything. I mean, just everything. Dawn asked me the other day to pick something up at the store. I think it was just uh, dish detergent or something. You know how many types of dish detergent there are? It's ridiculous. What is God trying to tell us in verse 8? Better is a little with righteousness. Just, it's your walk with Christ that matters. That, that's what matters. Get, get your walk with Christ where it's supposed to be, and then just godly contentment. Godly contentment with what you got. That's a balance. We have to guard that. Because you know what? There, it's not wrong to, to also desire things necessarily. It's not wrong to say, I enjoy that. But it's wrong when those things and that desire overtake you. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. So what does a mature believer do? We guard our thoughts. We guard our words. We guard our temper. We guard our contentment. You know what the result of all this is? The result of all this is verse 31. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. Gray, I think one translation says, gray hair is a sign of righteousness. Now, it's interesting about this sign of righteousness, gray hair. Some of you uh, color your signs of righteousness. Some of you uh, have lost a lot of your signs of righteousness. So. But the point is, is that the gray hair is a, is a head, a crown of glory. What's the point? The point is that when you see somebody that is, has the silver streaks, the gray hair, the whatever it is, it's supposed to be that this person has been around the block. They've walked in this world, that they have wisdom, they have knowledge. That's the purpose of that, is to say this person has lived through these events and I can glean wisdom and knowledge from them. So spiritually speaking, we're supposed to have gray hair. So that way to say, hey, spiritually speaking, I'm mature. I want to be gray spiritually. That's what you want, is to say, I'm mature in my walk with the Lord. I, I have that crown of glory because it's found in verse 31 in the way of righteousness. And what's righteousness once again? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Righteousness is Jesus Christ. It's found in Christ, that glory. And that's what we're looking for there. And what's the result once again of this gray hair? Look at verse 21. The wise in heart will be called prudent. Sweetness of the lips increase learning. The wise in heart will be called prudent. See, I want to be that wise in heart. I, I want to be wise not for my own glory. I want to be wise because, number one, I don't want to make mistakes that hurt the kingdom of God. See, when I walk in wisdom, I don't fall into traps of sin. I want to be wise so that way I can encourage and help other believers. Because when people come and say, hey, here's the situation that's going on before me, I want to be able to answer them in wisdom saying this is what the Lord says in his word is the right path to go. I want to be wise because I want to pass that wisdom on, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, to the generations that follow me. I want to raise my boys in a godly Christian way. I want to, I want to be a godly father and, and uh, husband to my wife and impact generations. So I want to walk in wisdom. And so I want that gray hair. 
wisdom-wise. I want verse 31 to be the wise in heart, not for my own glory, not for the attention, to keep myself from sin, to help other people, and to hopefully be a blessing to my family. What does Proverbs teach us again and again? Proverbs teaches us, get wisdom before you need it. Because when you have wisdom before you need it, when you need it, it's already there. You're ready, you're prepared, you're prayed up, you seek the Lord. That's why you have that daily time to say, Lord, I just want to spend time with you in prayer, in the Word, in worship, to say, Lord, speak to my heart. I don't know what's coming up here today. I don't know what's going to happen. So, Lord, prepare my heart for whatever it is in wisdom and how to respond to it. It goes back to the first verse we talked about today. The preparations of the heart belong to man. What are we doing as believers to be a workman rightly dividing the word of truth? 2 Timothy 2.15. What am I doing to say, Lord, I want to go deeper in you? And at the same time, then, I don't rest in my own wisdom. Second half of verse, six, uh, verse 1, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Lord, I rely on your spirit to speak truth to my heart and to show me what the right path is. And Lord, let the spirit guide us. So, Marv, if you come forward here for the final song. So wisdom, we guard our thoughts, we guard our words, we guard our temper, we watch our contentment. We want to be that gray hair that's walking in wisdom, finding that balance of letting the Lord lead, obviously, but also being diligent on our own part, part two.